Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zuppi. He's Zach Meisel. What's up, buddy? Nothing, man. It's it's August, and as Rick Manning reminded me today, it is the dog days of summer. They call it that for a reason. The Indians are in a stretch of, I think it's 37 games in 38 days. So, yeah, it's here. It's the home stretch. There's a playoff, a, a pennant chase going on. Get excited. Well, I would hope so at this point, considering the trade deadline and how far this team has come offensively, not just in the last week, but really over the past six weeks. I mean, take us back to when we first kicked off or re-kicked off, kicked off the second half, whatever we did with this podcast. When we started doing this again on a weekly basis, Uh, very eloquently said think about some of the the ideas that we were kicking around at the time and how even when they had success it didn't seem sustainable and it was good that they were playing better but it always kind of felt like the season uh, could be lost and we were talking about at the end of the year which prospects needed to come up and how you could make the most of this season and now what are we six to eight weeks later (laughs) and the outlook has completely changed. The optimism doesn't seem foolish. The offense is different in names with the guy you have hitting cleanup, the guy you have hitting sixth. But also just how they're performing and in the sense that there is around the team right now. You know, it, this, there was a lot of time we spent talking about being real and sometimes the glass still looked half empty when we, we tried to maintain that realism. But as we sit here today, having just witnessed the Indians sweep the Angels and and continuing this this torrid pace of play that they're on, keeping pace with the Twins here recently, and really making this a, a fun chase as we start August. I'm just reflecting on that today, and it really has been a really long journey in a very short period of time. So a couple of the rules of this podcast that we tend to remind people of pretty often. Number one, baseball season is not made for Twitter. It's not made for sports talk radio. You know, those places where you you want to be reactionary all the time. Well, you have to be patient to appreciate the journey that is a baseball season. And I mean, it's 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 easy to forget that, but it sure does give you a swift kick in the ass pretty regularly. Makes you feel foolish. Um, I mean, I think we all by now, especially after the trade deadline, is there anyone still doubting the Indians front office? Like, especially given the parameters they have to work within. And they've made their mistakes. They're not infallible. They did give four and a half million to Danny Salazar. Yeah, exactly. But like it's 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 not like they watched the first two months and were like, Well, I guess this is just who we are. We're gonna have to recalibrate and come back next season and trade off these like they recognize the holes and slowly but surely they have work to fill them. Now, it's not like they knew Oscar Mercado was going to come up and be a really, really productive hitter near the top of the lineup. It's not like they knew the bullpen would continue to defy people's expectations. Um, but they know what they're doing. And it, it seems to be a trend where the, the roster you open with in April is, is never anything close to resembling the roster that they go to war with in August and September. And, you know, the way they do things has worked out the last few years. And so I think, 
No, did I expect the lineup to look like it looks now? Of course not. But did I expect Eric Stamets to make 150 starts and Max Moroff to remain on the team and Hanley and Cargo to just <laughs> wither away before our very eyes? No, I mean, I, I they, they see what works and what doesn't work, and they make the changes that they need to make. And it, it's it's just that most of what they've touched this year in replacing the guys who didn't work out has has turned to gold. If the multiverse is real, shout out to Mike Clevenger. What's up? Can I see the universe where a- Eric Stamens and Max Moroff form the double play combination for 150 games? I don't actually want to live it, but I just want to take a peek. Can I just pull Here's back the, the story curtain? I want to write? <laughs> I just, Can I? I just want to see it for like three seconds. And then I want to watch the Indians. The, watch the Indians opening day in Minnesota while sitting with Roberto Almar and Omar Vizquel. Can we do that and get their reactions to the Indians' middle infield tandem? Sure. Are we allowed to – I mean, is it on the record or off the record? I think it would be two very different conversations. Yeah. Well, I don't know that you're going to get those two in a room anyway. Very true. want to give a shout-out to James C., Stan S., and Chris O., three of, the, our, of our most recent podcast supporters – they journeyed over to Anchor, they clicked support this podcast, and they helped us out on a weekly basis. Nowhere else can you find realistic tribe talk that gets optimistic when it needs to be, but also can take them to task. And in addition to that, you will not find anywhere on any Indians podcast the amount of crickets in the background that just plague this damn <laughs> show every single week. Uh, well, it's tough to find a quiet spot, and uh, I guess this isn't exactly quiet. Not at all. It's usually you, though. It's not me this week. I just want to point it out. It's not me. Don't don't come after me and blame this all on me. I have taken my phone out to my car. I shut the door. I tried to insulate myself as best I could so it wouldn't be me as the problem this week. I have all my own issues. And all my takes and all my opinions, they're bad enough. I don't need – are they bugs? What? Are they insects? What is, what is a cricket? I, I don't know. Google it, man. And these are the things that I expect you to know. I'm still trying to wrap my head around a tomato being a fruit. <laughs> also, as we rejoin reality uh, – we, we kind of got to see this from two different perspectives this weekend. Of course, you were in the Tribe Clubhouse, and uh, I was helping out on some Angels coverage for MLB.com. And so we kind of see uh, the, the state of both ball clubs, two teams that still consider themselves in the postseason race, but one of them actually legitimately proving it, and the other one having all sorts of bad luck and misfortune along the way, and just really uh, a nightmare season for – for, for the folks out in Anaheim, but being a game below 500 and trying to piece together their rotation and the offense just looks dreadful. Um, you know, we've been in a position where we've watched many teams around this time. And I'm thinking of the teams like around uh, 2014, 2015, where mm-hmm. in the second half, they were sort of pseudo contenders where eh, they kind of made things a little bit interesting with, Abraham Almonte somehow giving them uh, a a pleasant offensive performance. 
but Jerry Sands. But it is a, a, a very, I think it's a very clear picture of how this, not only, the, I mean, this season has evolved clearly. We, we covered that and a lot of things have changed. But as we sit here today and the Indians still aren't in first place, they're trying to get up to the, the top of the division, you know, hold, hold on to that wild card spot. The Indians legitimately look like a team right today that if they made the playoffs, they're, I mean, we never know this for sure. You could say that they're a great team. They get bounced in the first round. We could think they're terrible and they make it all the way to the World Series. You've seen both ends of the spectrum. But it's a team that legitimately looks like a club that could make some noise in October. And it's not like one of those scenarios where, hey, you get in and anything can happen. It, no, they actually legitimately look like a pretty good team right now. A lot of it comes down to health in the rotation. And Danny Salazar, who knows if he's ever going to pick up a baseball. My bet is on probably not. I think you would agree. But this team has every year found a way to piece together rotations. And they're getting so much out of their rotation this year for a group that has been without some really talented guys. And as they sit here today, it's not a stretch anymore to look at the Indians and say, no, this is a good team. And their record now backs up what? they actually have been here over the past six weeks. Well, it's more believable now when you look at the lineup. I mean, I, we all said like, hey, I know the offense has been really good for the last two months, but you get to a playoff series against Houston or New York or even Minnesota, and you, you really think like Kipnis in the four hole, even Mercado, a rookie in the two hole, and Jake Bowers in your line. Like there's so many question marks. Like no one really thought that was going to work. Well, now, like, it makes sense that you have Naquin and Luplo low in the order because the rest of your order is really good. And, and you don't have to wait for Jake Bowers to figure it out. You don't have to pray that Mercado doesn't hit a rookie wall. You don't have to, you know, you're not relying completely on Lindor and Ramirez like you were last season, it seemed like. And so, yeah, it's, it's just more believable. And, of course, they, they're going to have pitching questions, but – like we talked about over the weekend, TJ, like you don't need a five-man ro- – you need a five-man rotation to get there, and they've got to figure out how to patch this together with Savali and Plutko and Plesak, you know, who – it's not like Plesak's going to be throwing 200 innings this year. So they have, they have questions on how they'll get to Corey Kluber, and then you have to really hope that Corey Kluber is Corey Kluber. But if he is, you certainly feel comfortable with Mike Clevenger, Corey Kluber, and – Cy Young contender Shane Bieber, but it, it's 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 more believable. And for Danny Salazar, I know a lot of people have been asking me, you know, why they send him to Tampa? Why wouldn't they send him to Arizona or an affiliate? If you're asking the question, I think you know the answer. <laughs> it's basically when you think you're ready, you let us know, and we'll see if there's time left in the season. And uh, I think it's I think they're getting close to basically just admitting. Well, you weren't worth the $4.5 million this year, and we probably won't make that mistake again next season. Yeah, well, th- here's the thing with, with Danny. We, even leading into this year, we, and we had this conversation too, I, I still feel like, and with the benefit of hindsight, of course, you could say, well, $4.5 million, not well spent. And there are many people, I'll give you credit, at the time that said that they wouldn't have done it. I, at the time, thought it was a good risk. And even still putting myself back in those shoes, I felt it was a good risk. Because at $4.5 million, he doesn't have to give you a hell of a lot for it to be worth that. And if he's coming back and pitching meaningful innings, it's going to be right now in August and September, and then hopefully in October. And that's the kind of the idea that you envision with a guy like Salazar coming back and 
the Indians have to be more patient with their talent than other organizations that can spend tons and tons of money can be. We've covered this for years now. It's just the way the Indians organization has to operate. They have to be patient. So there's no doubting that. But now that you're at the point where they're at today, if they cut ties with Danny and he never pitches again for the Indians, never pitches again in the majors, who knows, but just say for the Indians, he doesn't pitch again and some other team gives him a shot and he even gets back to half of what he was. And he's at least a, uh, a competent major league pitcher somehow. The Indians don't have to feel bad about that anymore if that happens. Because I think leading no. up to this year, there was always that little bit of doubt in the back of your mind. What if that happens? And, boy, we would look like giant a-holes if we let this, this guy go and he goes out and still pitches like a mid-rotation starter. We can't let that happen. We have to give him – we have to exhaust every last shot. In this season, they've done that. There, there are no excuses anymore. Uh, you know, I, I wish Danny felt comfortable going out and just letting it go and his body would cooperate. And mentally, he was where he needed to be mindset-wise. Doesn't look like all that stuff's going to line up. But the Indians can cut tie today. And if he goes somewhere else and has success, they don't have to feel bad about it. They give, gave him every opportunity. They gave that arm every opportunity. They gave his body every opportunity to be what they thought he could be, and it didn't work out. And so I think you've gotten to that point where if it does happen, good for him. You know, pat on the back, good job for revitalizing your career. But it just wasn't working out here. Yeah, and FYI, those the people have tried to link Salazar and Michael Brantley, those decisions, those are mutually exclusive. Like they, they, It's not like, oh, if they didn't give Salazar $4.5 they could have re-signed Brantley. No, that's not. No, those are independent decisions. They had to be made very early in the offseason. And the Indians were told, you cannot, like, you, you're going to have to cut payroll. So if you think you're going to be able to sign Brantley for two for 32 or whatever he would have wanted from the Indians, there was no way they were going to be able to risk that. And I mean, they would have had to trade a starting pitcher. And who knows what they would have gotten. So uh, those decisions were independent. And correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't know why this is popping into my brain right now. Was it similar with Jarrett Wright? Like, I mean, he obviously came on as a phenom, what, 21-year-old, and then ran into some injuries, ran into some struggles, and didn't they give him, like, a ton of opportunities? Finally had to cut the cord long after he bleached his hair. And then he popped up in New York and Baltimore, and, like, he had a couple all right seasons. But, like, was that a similar thing where it was – yeah, I think you're making sure that you didn't bail on him too yeah, early. Yeah, I mean, and... I think you can draw some similarities there. Sure, sure. And and, and it's the same thing. If the Indians are going to feel bad about anything, of course, front office is, you know, <laughs> the guys that were making decisions then are long gone. But if anything, the Indians front office felt bad about Jared Wright is thinking about all the trades they probably turned down and elected to keep him uh, and surely yeah. would have liked to have redone. Uh, not the case. So, Maybe it's a similar sort of thing with, with Danny Salazar. But, I mean, they gave him every opportunity. They remained patient. They did all the things they have to do uh, as, as a team in their position. And, I mean, looking at his performance, looking at what it took to get him back to this point, I, I wouldn't say it's a surprise when it ended up happening. And But, I, I, but I, as I said, I'm still – I still think it was a – it was an okay – I mean, it was going to be a risk no matter what you did. I'm not convinced you could just take that. What, what would they have spent $4.5 million on? I mean, they could have upgraded – I don't know that they would have either. 
I, there's no guarantee that they would have been well. I'm in that in that able scenario. To spend that. In that scenario, shame on ownership. But well, four yeah. and a half million dollars. Maybe you could have used that on another reliever. Maybe you could have used if that. If someone on a, says the name Adam Jones, I swear to God. Maybe you could have used that on a stopgap, another stopgap outfielder. Well, a replacement for Lindor for the first month would have been well, nice. That, but I mean, they could have gotten guys like Jose Iglesias or Derek Dietrich for chump change anyway. Right. It, it wasn't Salazar that was preventing that kind of that kind of move. Yeah. I'll you know it's a weird offseason. I'll. I'll that's all right. I'll, I'll be on that. Welcome I'll be to on our that off in, uh, off-season recap here in <laughs> early August. Well, it's a big thing that just happened. You think the Indians the might sign week. Bryce Harper? Perhaps. I heard a theory, some conspiracy theories. Well, you don't have to worry about, uh, at least in the, in the short term that we know of, any of those sorts of issues with Shane Bieber, who pitched spectacularly again today, complete game. And we, we had this conversation, what was it? probably three weeks ago now where we're talking about what guys can be in their careers and why it's foolish to ever put a cap on anyone's career at the age of 24. I mean, heck even doing it at like 26 seems probably unwise at times, but for a guy that has as much potential as, as Bieber had not only skill wise, but I think just uh, mentally as well, the ability to grasp the game, pick up on concepts, uh, absorb as much as he can and, and handle tough situations. Uh, this guy has been the complete package since he's arrived and he continues to get better. And I was thinking about it today as I was listening to a podcast on my way home. I think it was the effectively wild podcast. Uh, one of your favorites, Zach. And they were talking about what it is to be an ACE. How do you set the parameters on, on in your mind, what you think an ACE is. And we had kind of had this conversation about, could Shane Bieber be an ace in the future? And neither of us ruled it out. But what, first of all, how, how do you, in your mind, how do you set aside what an ace is? What are the parameters that you think of in your head? And second of all, do you think Shane Bieber is any closer to being that today than even three weeks ago? You're going to hate me. I think it's the dumbest, most overused term. Sure it is. In baseball. And I think, but answer the damn question. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no point. I don't know. I, an Thanks ace for coming, to me everybody. is someone. <laughs> Have a good week. I guess if you make me answer this, it's someone who I know what I'm going to get every season. So, someone who consistency is probably the first criterion. Um, but then, see, I, I don't know, like. I feel like people used to say like 20 wins and an ERA of three or better or something like that, but it's not, that those don't, that doesn't matter anymore. Like, I don't know. I mean, it, the Indian season is so weird because we thought in early April, Clevenger was the ace came into the season, actually thinking Kluber was the ace. We thought, well, but maybe Bauer would overtake him as the ace. Cause he was kind of the ace last year down the stretch. No one even thought about Bieber and, uh, you know, we thought Carrasco had shown flashes of ace ability. Like, it's it's been such a weird year. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how to answer this. I, I don't know. Are there certain numerical standards you want to meet? Like, I, to me, it's, it's tough for me to say Shane Bieber's an ace because he's still on the way up, and I don't know. I don't know what he is yet. Yeah, I don't think he's an ace yet. We both believe he has 
I'd say the same thing about Clevenger too, by the way. Well, he doesn't have the longevity. He's got to do it consistently. Um, and I think you're onto something as far as numbers go. I mean, there's an element of just, you're right, consistency, knowing that guy's going to take the ball every fifth day. Uh, you can rely on him. Uh, all the sort of intangible things, leading a pitching staff. Um, those things get thrown around, but there is some merit to it. Guys that just gravitate to others and they can pick up on other things from. And we talked about Kluber leading by example and forcing other guys to to want to be better, to raise their game, to match his level. That's kind of the, the leadership quality that he provides. But it, it is at least somewhat tangible in numbers, right? I mean, that we we look at what a guy's war is. For instance, I was the podcast I was listening to. The the question was, when you're looking at a war leaderboard how do you determine what an ace is and over how long of a period do you do it? So do you talk about guys that are in the top 20 for X amount of years in the top 10? Are there only five guys over a certain amount of, of years? So I don't know. What, what would you, what would you think a guy has to do numbers wise? Like let's say in the war leaderboard to be considered an a quote unquote ace. Oh, I, 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 I honestly, I don't know. I hate that I'm making this a terrible conversation, but I, okay. Can we, can we do names instead? Like what's the first name that pops into your head? Who is an un like Max Scherzer? Maybe yeah, that's it. Okay. So let's work our way backwards. Well, cause, well, cause for... how many, how many aces do you think there are? Well, it's a great question. I think uh, I think it is acceptable to think on it in any given year there are probably no more than fifteen and no fewer than ten. Okay. I I, I would like think, Verlander I would think somewhere in that in that range is acceptable. Does Verlander count? Yeah, I would I would say so. Like, did he go from ace to no longer an ace to ace? Yeah, again? now he's pitching like an ace again. Absolutely. Okay, is Aaron Sanchez? <laughs> well, if you think if your sample size is one game, or really anybody joining the Astros now has become a friggin' ace, sure, yeah, absolutely, he is now an ace. <laughs> like, I guess I just need proof that you're going to put up. Yeah, probably a uh, you don't even three ERA three. I mean, but it's, it's I hate saying put up a sub three ERA when it's like. If you put up a three two, that's fine. Maybe one year you put up a two nine, and the next year you're three three. Well, right, but that's why you would look at it over multiple seasons. Yeah, I, obviously in I baseball, know. three years is the great sample size that kind of everyone likes to use. It's comfortable. Uh, there are certain things over a three year sample size that change, like Oscar Mercado, for instance. He makes a tangible change in the off. He's an ace. <laughs> he makes a tangible change in the off season to his offensive profile, and. Now, things that happened three years ago with him in the minor leagues maybe don't necessarily apply to him now because he's a different sort of player than he was at that time. All those things are true. You know, for guys different throwing different pitches or scraps of pitch and all those things are obviously factor into the equation. But for me, I, I think uh, a good indicator of an ace, good starting place for me is looking at a three-year war leaderboard, like pulling up on fan graphs, and then looking at probably – who are in the top 10 to 15 
15 feels, 10 feels a little bit too small over a three-year sample. 15 feels a little too big. So it's somewhere in that range. But what if maybe you have, see, for me, I'm fine if you have three really good seasons, but maybe if you have two elite seasons, you can sneak in there early. So so maybe it's meeting multiple criteria. Let's say uh, top 15 over three years, but maybe top five to 10 over two years. You have to meet either or of those criteria. Maybe it's top five over two years. So it's either you have to be in one category. If you meet either one of those categories, you have knighted yourself as an ace. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, we were sitting here coming into the season. We were thinking, all right, they kept their pitchers. Yes. So they're going to have Kluber, who even if he's not quite Cy Young Corey Kluber, like probably a sub 350 ERA and you know gives you a ton of innings great maybe I mean we I think we both figured like he's probably on the decline but even him on the decline is still really really good we thought you know Carrasco who just signed the new extension and obviously nothing that's happened this season is his fault and we're not criticizing him but we, we thought hey that's like a perfect guy to be in the middle of your rotation uh, maybe even near the top of your rotation we were all excited about Clevenger. He was a dark horse Cy Young guy. Bauer, we, I mean, he was like a Cy Young favorite. And then we were pleasantly surprised by Bieber last year to the point where we thought, hey, maybe he's like a mid-rotation guy who in this rotation is just, he's your number five because he is. And you think about that. So if I would have told you that like the one guy in the Cy Young contention would be Bieber, what would you have said? <laughs> like, would you have believed it based on what you knew about his arsenal and what you saw of him last year? Yeah, I would have, actually. Okay. Because they've seemingly pulled the rabbit out of the hat before with guys that just didn't feel like they were on that level and then ascended. I mean, Corey Kluber is a perfect example where in 2013, yeah. was he not just kind of a really solid mid-rotation guy? Exactly. Kind of settles yep. in to some adjustments that he's made, uh, really – Wheeling down his pitch repertoire, just learning his craft and, and his skills, and then just took off in 2014. And it kind of snuck up on you to the fact that you get to halfway through the year, and you're like, oh, shit, this guy is one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. That doesn't seem right. And remember then down the stretch, him and Felix, it was like – it's almost like they were paying attention to each other's starts and just one shoving, the other shoving. And Kluber's September was so good, and that basically clinched yeah. it for him. It was a close vote. It was, and that was that's felt like the first. And maybe, maybe there were other years before that, but it felt like the first year where voters started to take into account not just the ERA, because you know yeah. wins had evaporated. And, and Felix is a good example of someone that we no longer cared about wins. Thank God, uh, when he won the Cy Young, when he what, what did he win? Like nine games, ten games, or something. Yep. Uh, so, which by the way, I laughed because I was listening to a radio show that I won't name recently. And the host is just talking about, I think it was like trade targets at the deadline. And he's just like listing what pitchers are available. And he's just listing them by their win-loss <laughs> record. And then at the end, he's like, now obviously win-loss record doesn't, we've learned it doesn't mean that much now. And I'm like, then why did you just cite it for every pitcher? There's nothing else you can look at? Uh, Jesus. Oh, I feel like we're, we're close, but we're still not there. Uh, but as far as people that are voting on rewards, that, that went by the wayside. That year with Kluber and Felix, it felt like the first year where voters started to take into account 
a guy's fit, a guy's defense behind him. And the fact that the, yeah. the fact that the Indians that year had a really kind of crappy defense, it actually played in Kluber's favor because the voters said, hey, this ERA that he has probably should be better. Um, and when you factor in all the strikeouts and all this other stuff, uh, we have to reward him. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess if you look at the numbers, it's actually like Kluber was a little better in 2013 than Bieber was last year. But I think if you look at the peripherals and stuff, like it's probably decently close. And you're right about like it's the same profile. Like Kluber threw strikes. He had really good mechanics in his delivery. He was able to repeat like all the stuff, you, the, the buzzwords you hear people say. Um, and then you look deeper and it's like, you can identify what the Indians are trying to do organizationally. And it's really ramped up the last few years where they target college pitchers who throw a ton of strikes, who are hungry to learn more, want to find ways to improve. It's basically command and makeup are the two keys that they really value. And they find these college pitchers and they put them in their system. And they've learned some things. I think Trevor Bauer has helped with this. And it helped open the organization's eyes to some technology and maybe hiring some new people who are familiar with technology and how it can help. And um, and you see, like, I mean, we've told the story of how Clevenger and Bauer would joke about Bieber coming up to the majors throwing 82 and they turned him into a guy who throws 96. But But they do figure, like, you know, we can probably – add a couple miles an hour to this guy and he's already throwing strikes and like it's he's finding ways to learn and learning new pitches to throw and watching other pitchers in their daily bullpen sessions like the the routines are in place and so you just have to find the pitchers who fit the profile and you're seeing it not just with Beaver but with Plesak with Aaron Savali they've got kids coming up like Eli Morgan um and they all fit that same profile. Maybe they don't throw 98, but they do things that can make their transition to the majors easy. And, I mean, it's that's the reason why Shane Bieber, who is barely over a year in service time, is pitching like a quote-unquote ace. Yeah. It's to the point where it is no longer out of the question where if you needed to send one guy out to win one game right now, based on what you know, who would it be? Oh, man. I still kind of want to lean Clevenger. But it is certainly – I mean, it is neck and neck. I don't feel like you – in a one-game situation, God, anything could happen anyways. I mean, Mike Freeman hits third and they win games. (laughs) Um, You know know what's tough about this? That question's really good because, first of all, I think we finally narrowed it down to two people. (laughs) Like, I've heard radio hosts ask this question all season. And I've never understood it because it's like, okay, well, one guy's battling cancer. One guy has a shattered forearm. One guy is – Clevenger was out for a couple months. Like, why are you asking this question now when we don't know how healthy they're going to be in a few months? But now that we've narrowed it down to basically Clevenger and Bieber, like Clevenger is the tantalizing option because he throws super hard. He strikes out a ton of guys, although Bieber does too. There, there's no reason not to pick Bieber. Like, there are reasons for both, but it's hard to make a reason against Shane Bieber at this point, which is – it's it's incredible. 
So I mentioned the war leaderboard. We were talking about what it means to be an ace this year, factoring in today's performance by Beaver. Do you know where he sits on the war leaderboard on Fangraphs? Just in the American League or overall? overall? Both leagues. Uh, top five, right? Fifth. Uh, he is fit now. Fangraphs is more is reliant on FIP, whereas Baseball Reference is looking at ERA. But the ERA and FIP, I mean, pretty close this year for for Bieber. Uh, of course, the the no the no walks and plenty of strikeouts are what are gonna, is going to help Bieber in the FIP category. But re- he just doesn't make mistakes. Not many, and you know, regardless of the fact that, as you said, he doesn't throw as hard as Clevenger, but he certainly knows how to locate it on the black and. Has, it seems like he's just getting better and better as far as sequencing goes, knowing, you know, uh, not not just knowing not to throw his fastball in hittable parts of the zone, but knowing how to work his pitches in tandem to to get the strikeouts, to keep guys off the barrel. Things you have to do when you don't throw 97. Uh, but still, the stuff, I mean, when you say that, it makes it sound like his stuff isn't good. His stuff is actually, I mean, his breaking stuff has developed it's become pretty filthy. Um, and I think it just the benefit of changing some grips and probably learning uh, best spin axis on, on his pitches and get, just getting the best efficiency on his pitches, all those things that he has no doubt done throughout the year to get better. And that has put him fifth. In, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it takes more than just being fifth on the war leaderboard through August of one season to say that you're an ace. But over the past two years now, coming into today, do you know where – Shane Bieber was on the Fangraphs War leaderboard. What would you, th- what do you think your, what would be your guess on where he's at over the past two years? And remember, he made his debut on the last day of May. Yes, his birthday, best day, and your birthday. Yeah, that's gonna say, best day in world history. Uh, I'm gonna go top thirty. Well, you're right about that. Top twenty-five. You're right about that. He's not top twenty. There's no way. Uh, well, you'd be wrong to say that he's not top 20. Wow. Uh, coming into today. Why don't you just tell me? <laughs> coming into today. It was more fun to let you try to figure it out. Uh, coming into today, 18th. That's incredible. Uh, and if you- I remember, he after that start last year in Minnesota, he went back down for a few weeks yes. and then came up. And uh, so that's so if you fact says a lot, if you if you do factor in today, he is tied with uh, Barrios. With Minnesota, I mean, you would put him right. I mean, he's right there, knocking on the top fifteen. So I don't want to be a huge buzzkill. Would you but... pick him to start a playoff game? Let me give you three names, okay? And you tell me if you would pick Bieber to start a playoff game over any of these three, okay? Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, but that's, but see that that's kind of the issue. Happened, I know anything can happen. Anything can no, happen. No, no, no. It's not even that. It's just that we this this kind of goes back to newspapers that want to run. Hey, we need you to do matchups, third baseman against the third baseman yeah. in this series. That's not freaking how it works. Me, yeah, someone was tweeting at me today saying the Yankees are better than the Astros because Glaber Torres is better than Carlos Correa and like. I think that's they said not, DJ LeMahieu was better than Jose Altuve. That's which not is, how any of this works. Right. Yeah. No. And so, also, why are you tweeting me about that? I don't, no, your point. Your point is well taken. We, the Astros' rotation is godlike. 
Uh, well, un- we also overrate this though because because like Granky could go six innings and give up two runs, and Bieber could go six innings and give up one run. Like, right. They both can pitch well, and it won't. Like it's not always up to the starting pitchers. It's no. the bullpens and the offenses have a lot to say about it. Now too. a lot of this is dependent on Kluber, but Kluber comes back. Yep. Maybe the only team, the Indians, the only team that could even just get kind of close in the ballpark, where it's like the advantage that the Astros have with their top three is not completely wiped away, but it is. I think it's close enough that it's not like some glaring thing, and it's like, oh shit, they have no shot. If you're if you're lining up with some combination of Clevenger, Bieber, and Kluber, that really doesn't feel like. I mean, you are close enough where legitimately anything could happen. We're also talking about a game that Josh Tomlin outpitched. <laughs> you know who from you know several guys from the Cubs and <laughs> went into and Fenway Park and, and won in Game Three. So really, all of this is stupid. But for fun conversation, yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. The Astros all look of like this a, is stupid. It's going to make a really good podcast headline. All of this is stupid. I mean, it's a daunting task to take on the Astros right now. Un unbelievable. And credit to the ownership that okay, just bring on what two thirds of the contract uh, yeah. remaining for Zach Greinke. Oh yeah, that's that's unreal. So again, applause to them for doing what they should be doing at the deadline. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, you know, how we will – I'm assuming the Indians will make the playoffs. I don't know if it will be a wild card spot or division. But it's interesting, like, there's a buzz around this team, and the trade has quite a bit to do with it. But there's a buzz around this team where, like, if they went into a playoff series against Houston, I think fans would be more excited than they were last year when last year everyone knew they were going to get a playoff series from yeah. April 1st on. Right. Uh, but it's just they seem more exciting. They seem to have more energy. They seem hungrier. They seem more motivated. And we've talked about the reasons for that. But it's just so much more appetizing and gives you – I think it gives you more confidence going into games that matter. No doubt. Do you want to tell – Which it'll be fun. I mean, it'll be fun next weekend to see four games in Minnesota, how they match up. Do you want to tell people that your jinx works in reverse? How did that frame the race? <laughs> yeah, just I mean, by the time people listen to this, they'll probably already know that the article is out. So, first of all, that behemoth is like the coolest guy I've ever spoken with. Um, yeah, but this is this is going to go the opposite direction, though. So, yeah, first of all, he's awesome, and I have a story out where he. I asked him what his favorite home run was because all of his former teammates, the Indians are basically Padres East now. And all of his former teammates just talked about how he would just spend batting practice trying to hit the Petco park scoreboard and other guys were getting in on too. But I mean, he has go watch some of his home run highlights. They are majestic bombs. And so I asked him what his favorite one was and he pulls out his phone and just starts, he has all the videos of them on his phone and he starts (laughs) He's like, he pulls one up and he goes, man, I crushed this one. You got to see it. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, he's like, he hit one off Kenta Maeda of the Dodgers. And he's, he pauses it and says, look at Maeda's face. He's like, oh, how'd you do that? And so it's, I mean, this guy doesn't get cheated. It's so fun when he connects and he hasn't connected for the Indians yet, obviously, but 
you know, I write this story. His teammates are hilarious, calling him a big goofball. Tito's hilarious, calling him, quote, a fucking mammoth. And, uh, you know, he's he's awesome. And he's not shy about, like, he will marvel at his power. And he said, you're going to see a lot of far home runs here from me once I get comfortable. And he's under control for five and a half years. But, of course, he has not gotten on track yet. And as I put the finishing touches on the story on Sunday afternoon, he was going 0 for 4 with a golden sombrero and breaking a bat over his knee. So, Meisel Jinx still in full effect. <laughs> the good... Which I also... The other day, there was... It was only a couple innings, but I had... Someone had a no-hitter going. And I, just, I like I said it out loud to somebody, and a split second later, there was a single up the middle. It's just... I'm on a run right now. I, I don't know what to yeah, do. Try using your powers for good, please. Um, the The one thing that will be fun is... We've got five five years and two months essentially to see if he can hit the scoreboard, and I am here <laughs> for it. Also here for a random inning of the day if you have one. Oh my god! Why didn't you tell me to prepare? Well, you can prepare right after this. All right, man. I don't think you're going to top last week's, but you can try. Yeah, this is. I think you'll get this, but I stumbled across his name. I don't remember why it was the same day where I spent like 45 minutes looking at the nineties Colorado Rockies stats on baseball reference in 1999. They allowed 1026 runs. I can't, can't get over that. Like we think about how the 99 Indians were just a machine first team in 49 years to score a thousand runs. The Rockies that year allowed more team ERA was 601. Like, their quote-unquote ace, Pedro Stasio, had an ERA over five. <laughs> Where was he at on the Fangraphs War leaderboards? Yeah, probably like 89th. Um, all right, so this guy pitched for the Indians among the five teams he pitched for. He spent the most time with the Indians, three years, 68 outings. Pitched for the Indians. See, if I give you the years, I don't know. 68 outings, 56 starts. They acquired him, so it's a he, in 1993 from the St. Louis Cardinals. In exchange for Mark Witten. Hitting Mark Witten. And he was traded three years to the day of his acquisition, March 31st, 1996, to the Mets for Reed Cornelius and Ryan Thompson. Those aren't real people. So you're looking at 93 through 95. Uh, 93 through 95. Um... His ERA with the Indians was 446, which at the time was slightly above league average. You know, I can't try to think of who actually got that many starts for the Indians. Career ERA in 10 seasons of 461. He also pitched for St. Louis, the Mets, the Cubs, the Rangers. Is it Mark Clark? You got it. Mark Clark, who 
Like, why was that his name? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> you should ask him sometime. Yeah, he was actually, I mean, he was decent for the Indians. Uh, 95 was his worst of the three seasons. 527 ERA. Now, I'm trying to, he was I'm, pretty solid. I'm trying to remember the timeline exactly, but it, was it his injury that led to them trading for Ken Hill? Yeah, that could that could be right. I mean, they did trade for Ken Hill that year. Yeah. But I know Clark started the year, or at least uh, was part of the rotation for some portion of the year in 95. All right. Yeah, he. Mi- I mean, he missed most of June and and wasn't with the team in April. Uh, well, that's because the season started late, too, remember? Yep, that's why. So he missed most of June. Um, so he only made 22 outings. All but one was a start. Well, it's no loophole, but it'll have to do. No, that one was unfair. But, it, you know, we need some easy ones sometimes. Yeah. And I just don't understand why his parents named him Mark. You can, I don't know. Mark Willard Clark. Well, you couldn't go by Will Clark. True. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or find us over on Anchor if you want to support the podcast. Any parting words this week? If you run into Tom Hamilton anywhere, tell him if you attended Saturday's game and got the free t-shirt that says Swing and a Drive, tell him how much you love it. And even if you had, it'd be great if you had it on you and could get him to sign it. Um, he is very embarrassed by those, and I took one up to him, showed it to him. I, sh- I almost tried it on for him. He was, you know, he's got uh, quite a vocabulary full of curse words, and he unleashed quite a few on me. But, uh, yeah, so if you see him around, just tell him how you love the shirt that says Swing and a Drive and see what his reaction is. <laughs> Until next week. Enjoy your T-shirts. We're out of here. See you.